we live or we're supposed to live very distinctly, not like the world, okay? We do try to keep the moral law, but we know that our Savior has fulfilled all of those things for us. That doesn't mean that we no longer have to say, I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. Jesus did that for me. No, we are to strive for that. I, I mean, I would hope you would want me to strive to not commit murder. I'm thinking you would probably want to strive to not have infidelity in your marriage. I think you would want to strive to not covet someone else's stuff, right? I think you would want to strive to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, even though now we have the Lord's day because that was the resurrected Christ. So the new covenant does does not annul the moral law of God. In fact, what it does is it, is it encourages us with our identity and who God is and who Christ is and that He kept the stipulations of perfection for us. But we have, a, this, we have this responsibility of living a distinct life. Now, I'm using the word distinction here for another word that starts with S, sanctification. Because sanctification is really distinction. You should be distinctly different than those who don't know Jesus, right? In fact, I was reading that uh, last night in a book. We've talked a lot about evangelism, and this is big news back south, right? This is what they're really the only thing they're good at. But um, the church is waiting for the world to get saved. And this man said, and the world is waiting for the church to get right. And it's, and it's an issue of distinction. Do we show ourselves to be little Christ? Christian means little Christ, okay? It means to be like Christ. Do we, do we present as those who are distinctly different from the world? Do we present that way? So this old paths in... To, the, to those of the old Sinaitic covenant was an idea of distinction. They did weird things. They didn't live like the rest. And they were showing their set-apartness unto God for His purpose of pointing people to Him. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. Now notice this part. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His testimonies. Where does it say it's written? Law of Moses, the Sinaitic Covenant. What's, what is David telling Solomon to do? To keep the old paths. That's what he's telling Solomon to do. And he didn't, but that's what he told him to do. Then, and he says this, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn because, as we're going to see here in a minute, fixing to, as we say back in Oklahoma, we're fixing to see that there is a promise from God in keeping for the Jew under the old covenant, there is a promise of, of preservation when keeping the Sinaitic covenant, of wholeness, of his blessing. 
And it was connected to the land too. Literally, it's like this. And I forget where I read it in here. It's in here for those of you just know that it's in here. Is that the rain was even connected to their obedience. The rain on the land was connected to their obedience. So the Sinaitic covenant to the Jewish people under the old covenant was there to show them a distinct people. For us today, the old paths represent, and I got this from Jude 1 through 3, faith which was once, the faith which was once uh, for all delivered to the saints. Now, I, I want you to take note there for a second. The book of Jude tells us that we have the faith. Now, what's referred to as the faith? I would, if you would, just say the old paths, the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? That which the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says that God spoke in times past various ways through the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son through whom he made the worlds. And he is the express image of his glory. And he talks about who Jesus is in his, in his preeminence and his power and his sufficiency. And so I would contend to us uh, 2,022 years after, okay, that the old past for us is everything that's in the book. Understood rightly through the lens of the new covenant as a fulfillment of the old covenant. And so what we have then is the old paths and we have the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude chapter 1 verse 3 pretty much cuts down any kind of tree that says, hey, this is a new revelation of God that God just gave and your Bible's not sufficient. Because it says right here that is the faith once for all delivered to the saints so if anyone ever comes to you preaching another gospel what do you say jude one through three man that's what you say so to refer to old paths as i said before infers new paths jude chapter four warns of certain men who have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turn the grace of our god into lewdness and deny the only lord god and our lord jesus christ and so this is exactly what we see happening in our day, new paths seeking to eclipse the old ones. And I'm going to stop here just for a second. New paths does not mean that it's bad that now we have, well, as you just saw, electricity, okay, to, to run our instruments. Um, there was probably a day in which case one of the churches or several may have split over the discussion of having electricity brought into the church house and probably even having uh, am uh, amplification for voice through a microphone may have been a big deal. That's a new path. Don't be afraid to, you know, to, to, to make distinctions here. New paths aren't always bad when it refers to things that help us forward in, 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 in preaching the gospel. And I can assure you that I am thankful for this, or I wouldn't have a voice by now. And, uh, and I'm also grateful for electronic instruments because, you know, if not, you probably would have to sit way back there 
as we had to be loud enough to hear ourselves and you hear it too. So I appreciate all that's helpful. Here's what's not helpful. And next week I'm going to be talking about the old paths as it relates to worship. Okay. This will be fun. (laughs) So in case you haven't noticed, Christian music has, in an effort to, to try to do a good thing, has ended up becoming a, a bad thing in many ways. And it's not all bad. But the primary drivers of modern Christian worship music lately have been being revealed. Wren Collective, Hillsong, Bethel, uh, as completely money-driven and self-focused. I don't know if you know this, but worship, and I don't want to get, I'm going to steal thunder from next week, but when we say worship, the first thing most people think about today is what? Music. But that's not what the economy of God is in the old paths. It was attitude. I must come to God humbly with a broken heart in need. And when I say, oh God, I show my need, that's an old path. A new path would be, no, 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 worship is, worship is, man, just the lights and the, and the, and the, the music and the solo of the guitar and the, just the, it just makes you feel and that is completely foreign to the Bible. So that's enough for next week. Another, another, another new path, though, is what we're talking about today is that you can, uh, you can have God and your sin, too. That's right. God would love for you to just be happy because he made you that way after all. God is not out to judge you. God doesn't want you to feel bad about yourself. He wants to empower you to your fullest human experience. That's a new path that's preached in churches. And like dominoes, churches are caving to the LBGTQISS agenda. That's right. There are churches that teach, unless you have a certain member and amount of different ethnicities in your church, that you're you're not a biblical church. Show me where that's listed. So see, there's all these new paths that are rising up, and it's really... It's really not new, it's just got new names. But we are people of old paths. So J.C. Ryle said, and I love Bishop J.C. Ryle, he's, from, he's an old, old, old guy. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that the world needs no new gospel, as some profess to think. I am thoroughly persuaded that the world needs nothing but bold, full, unflinching teaching of the old paths. And what is he talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about exactly. I'll tell you what he's talking about. And I've said it last week, and I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it till I go on home to glory. I will say it, and I will preach it, and I will teach it, because it is the only old path, and it's this one right here. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Remember the faith once, to all, once for all delivered to the saints? Jude 1 through 3, Scripture interprets Scripture, people. We know this is right because we have a scriptural precedent that this is right. That he was buried and that 
He was he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures that he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. And and then he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, verse eight is a very important thing here. He was seen, as Paul says, by me as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles and am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And I just want to say another new path is this notion that there is a restoration of the apostolic. You think, what are you talking about? Preacher talk. Okay, there is a renewal like churches like Bethel and Hillsong and the whole litany of all that stuff and those ones that say that God is now raising up new apostle Pauls with the same authority as Paul and Peter and James and John and the rest that's what they're saying and that they should be listened to with the same amount of authority and same amount of of surrender as we would listen to what Paul is saying here but what did Paul say in verse 8 Let's see what the old paths say. The last, then last of all, (laughs) then last of all, he was seen by me. The least and one born out of due time. Last of all. So what does that mean for future ones? We don't have one. See, you have a new path saying, oh no, they're new, they're out. And then he just said, "I'm I'm the last, I'm the last one. You guys, should, you guys should run so fast away from anything like that that it would slip the paint on your car, okay? Ian Murray says, The greatest disaster that ever happened to the churches of Britain was when the teaching entered that you can live without dependence on the truth of the Word of God and not lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. The reason why churches are having to pump up themselves with all this other stuff and appeal to the masses with all the political talking points and the, uh, the goosebump stuff, okay? You gotta, you gotta conjure up goosebumps. The reason they're having to do that is because they're trying to imitate what only the Holy Spirit can provide in the old paths. JT, God gave us a perfect analogy today, brother, when that electricity went out. Would we still be as vocal if we had no electricity? Would it affect us so much? Could we worship? Should our electrical grid cave because of all the electric cars plugged into it? You know, so... (laughs) Bring it back. Just... I, I had to. I had to say that. I, I'm sorry. I had to say that. Sorry. So, but if, if we had no electricity and we came to church and we, and we didn't even have the lights on and we came in, would we be willing to open the window and sing with an acoustic guitar? And I would have to lose my voice then. Would we still be willing How many churches would cease to exist because they lost their power? How many churches are built to depend solely on electricity? You ever been in the big ones? There's not a window one in them. They're like motherships on earth. And you go in there and and the the, the can looks like stars. And there's 
there's gangways where you can go and change the bulbs. That thing is massive and huge. If there was no juice, you wouldn't even be able to inhabit it. I'm just saying. Look at it. Ian Murray says, the dependence on the truth of the Word of God and not lose the presence of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of Scripture and of all history is that when reverence for the Word of God goes, then, notice the sequence, prayer goes. Well, if you no longer reverence the Word of God, you don't reverence God. Why should you pray much to a God you don't really think much of? There, someone actually said this week, that, and, it's a, and, and it's clergy with a rainbow scarf and all of that said, the Word of God is hateful. They're actually virtue signaling God. Where do you get virtue from in the first place? God. What is the first inscripturation of virtue to us? The Ten Commandments. Are you kidding me? What kind of warped thinking is that? So, when the Word of God goes, the prayer goes. Notice the next thing. Joy goes. Holiness goes. Holiness is distinction and, 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 and living as a person who knows Christ. And then it says, and Christ Himself goes. This is what happens. In Jeremiah chapter 6, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 10b. It's just above verse 16 in my Bible. You may have to switch a page, but it says this in verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 6. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it because that's what happened to the nation of Israel and Judah. They were split kingdoms at this time. Split kingdoms. They both did not reverence or delight or think of the word of God that they had. They had forgotten the covenant. They weren't walking in the old paths. Do you know what their new paths were? Baal worship, Ashtoreth worship. They had images and statues and groves of trees. That's what they did. And they were being consumed by it. In verse 11, Therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. And he says this, I am weary of holding it in. Wow. Now i got to tell you, when I read stuff like that, that makes me nervous. I'm going to bring this up, and it won't be like the electric car remark. But it is something to be stated. When you, when you have a nation such as the United States or any Western developed country that had a strong Judeocentric foundation that obviously derives that foundation from the inscripturated Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, okay? When you have a Supreme Court nominee who, when asked what is a woman, says, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Because you know they're currying favor with political interests that disavow the authority of God so that people can have, have transsexual agendas. When you get to the point where you can't even answer or be willing to say, I don't know, me? What's the what? You've reached a new low. 
These are the people who make and interpret the Constitution of the United States and the laws of the land. They're lawless. Hence, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. What happens when that law that was once so strong stops restraining itself? What happens when the law becomes a prosecutor of the righteous? Well, then you can see you have a one-world system that is bent on evil and bringing it to its ultimate demise. And that's what we see happening. Those who call evil good and good evil. And it's because of a disavowal of the supremacy and authority and sufficiency of the word of God. So Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 8 and 9. This is what they did to violate the old paths. Behold you trust in the words that cannot profit. Will you steal? Mur this is God speaking to the, to the nation. Will, will you murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Can you imagine the audacity to stand up with the Bible in your hand, expounding to people that same-sex marriage is perfectly fine and pleasing to God's heart? Can you say and stand up to say that, oh no, God didn't make them male and female. There's all kinds out there. Or, or when you say, God doesn't really mean what he said in the book. I mean, after all, we're not really sure, but it's a good tradition. J Jesus really didn't come born of a virgin. That, we all know that was a myth, but we join and do this together because we like to cut the fellowship. That's a new path. It's not the old path. And that's going to run head on in a major collision with the course of this world. And the legal system is going to back them up. And in fact, already is. In Jeremiah chapter, uh, or in, in Jeremiah chapter 7, in verses 30 and 31, God goes on and he says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name. Now, don't, don't, don't overlook that. Do you realize what that just said? They've set their abominations in my house. What if you came in next Sunday and along our walls and out in the middle of the aisles and up here on the stage were statues of Buddha and Hindi and uh, 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 that dude with the horns, okay, and, and all this other stuff? Would you be okay with that? What if even there was a rainbow flag up here and, and sparkles? What would you think of that? Would you be okay with it? They were okay with it. This is, this is what sin does to your thinking. It, it dis so the thing about deception is it's deceptive. Okay, so they, they were coming to the temple that Solomon had built. And it was full, full of all these profane, perverse images. And they said, it's all good, man. God isn't going to do anything. And that's exactly what we have happening in our day. It's all good until it ain't. You know, we had a water well up 
when we were on the farm and it was a long way from the house, sometimes it would go out because then it made you climb in that creepy little cellar with the snakes in there. Okay. Oh, spiders are, you know, I don't mind the spiders, but the snakes. But, and Dad would always say, well, you never miss the water till the well runs dry. How many of you think about water until you don't have it and need it? And that's exactly what it's going to be with the mercy of God in our nation. We have it. Everything's okay. It's getting bad, but it hadn't really hit the stomach yet. But what about when it does? When you court new paths and you disavow the old paths, you've asked for it. And God, in His mercy, is still calling us to Himself. So He says this, they set up their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it and they have built the high places of Tophet which is in the valley of the Sea of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I did not command nor did it come into my heart. And this is what God brings up is one of the things they did. How many of you have heard of the valley of Hinnom? Some. Tophet. Well, here's what it is. This is really small. This is for me, not for you. Um, Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley marked the western and southern edges of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, it was often the site where people of Judah sacrificed their children to Baal. And how they did that, in case you don't know, where there's this this bronze statue, and it had arms extended like this, really close. And they would lay their infants, like my grandson, on those arms that are roasting red hot burning and they would throw them into the mouth of this thing, and they would appease their god Baal so they could have some rain, essentially. Mountains of infants rolled in on searing hot bronze iron, and it burns them. That's what they were doing. That was Hinnom. That all happened in the Valley of Hinnom. King Manasseh of Judah added to the negative reputation of the Hinnom Valley by sacrificing some of his own sons in Baal worship there. He also practiced sorcery and witchcraft in defiance of God's law. King Josiah, my favorite king, King Josiah, Manasseh's grandson, later destroyed many of these pagan structures and practices. But by that time, Israel was so involved in paganism that God's judgment soon fell upon the people because, remember, there is a measure and a legal limit of sin when the last berry is added to the bushel basket. Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley also became the perpetual burning garbage dump and city sewer. In the time of Jesus, this is what it was. Residents sometimes called it the Valley of the Sewer or the Valley of the Pagans. By Jesus' time, the Greek translation of Hinnom Valley was known as Gehenna, became a synonym for hell. Thus, the English versions of the Bible translate Valley of Hinnom in the New Testament as hell. With us, or with its pagan history and its burning sewer stench, Jerusalem's Hinnom Valley serves as a vivid metaphor for both the Christian and Jewish concept of hell. And Jesus said, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And he's looking there in that valley as they dump bodies of dead people and animals and refuse, and it's burning, and it's burning, and it's rotting, and it's gross, and it's sewage. And that's what he says will happen to the people 
who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, who say, I will pay my own sin debt. God, I don't need yours. Don't bug me anymore. And they'll end up being thrown into that place where it says their worm does not die, identifying their soul, which is eternal, and it will be there in a place of torments, never stopping, never shutting off. You can have a million of millions of years away, and it will not change in agony and torment. That's what Jesus said is the valley of Hinnom. And, and that's the illusion he used of hell, the, the allegory of hell. And that's why we tell every man. That's why we go door to door visiting. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we're here today to say and celebrate, thank God I'm saved and if you're not, you need to be. Okay. The old paths are simply keeping the word of God. Psalm 19, verses seven through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That's the old path, isn't it? It's beautiful. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than any gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. I don't have time to go to Jeremiah 10, but I want to say this. These are the old paths. And we live in a day when they say, this is antiquated. It doesn't matter. We are more technical than that. They give no substantive arguments. They just want you to pay attention to how you feel. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel afraid for what's coming. Not in a fear of, oh, my Lord in heaven. But I'm, I'm fearing, God, I tremble when I consider how badly my nation is mocking God. Walter Kaiser, in a book that I have of his, he said, and this is some hope and encouragement, If the Spirit of God did not periodically send revival, yes, there it is, the the world would be in extremely sad shape. It is alarming to see how frequently the lessons learned by one generation are totally forgotten in another. But thanks be to God, He will not let His fallen children roam about in spiritual fatigue forever. Based on this marvelous record of intervention, there is always the hope and expectation that God will step into the present order of things, no matter how bleak and adverse the circumstances seem to be. Thus, all believers should have a deep expectation and a firm belief in the possibility of revival for their day. Do you know what that's called? It's called an intervention of grace. It's called a speed bump of mercy. That's what that is. Now I'm going to close with an excerpt out of A Blaze with His Glory, written by uh, Del Feshneld, which had a big ministry in pointing people to biblical revival. He died at 41 of uh, a brain tumor. <sighs> Think about what I'm saying here with the distinction between old paths and new paths, okay? The clear, the clear teaching of God's Word is that we must use holy means to obtain holy ends. Agreed? 
Not only was the Ark of the Covenant sacred, but the men who carried it, the poles on which it was carried, and the means by which it was carried, all had to be according to God's precise instructions. Agreed? Failure to carry it God's way, even by sincere, well-intentioned men, resulted in more than one death. Once again, we must ask ourselves, what is my purpose for being in the ministry? If my purpose is to build a big church, then I'll use whatever means are at my disposal for filling the auditorium. That's what we see happening in the new past, whatever, whatever I can use. But if my purpose is to glorify God by building a holy church, then I'll use means designed to accomplish that objective. If this inter- in this entertainment crazed generation, we have become far too dependent on celebrities, gimmicks, promotions, contests, and giveaways to build our ministries, whatever happened to dependence on the ministry of the Word, prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit? Ours is a day when the end justifies the means in the church as well as in the world. Therefore, it's tempting for Christians to rationalize that adopting the culture of the world will, be bet, will better enable us to reach the world. But I'm convinced that the world is unimpressed with, relig- with a religious version of itself. I'm going to read that one again. He says, I am convinced the world is unimpressed with a religious version of itself. Only a holy church with a holy message and a holy method can ever truly win the world. The New Testament states that many people follow Jesus for all the wrong reasons, multitudes, miracles, and meat. But when our Lord insisted that they submit to Him as Master, many of them turned away. It's not difficult to attract people to magnificent auditoriums with star-studded programs, but our real task is not to attract, but to attach them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In order to do so, Our lives, our message, our motivation, and our methods must reflect the values of the kingdom of God, not the philosophy of this world. Above all else, it is required that we be found faithful in the old paths. I'm going to ask JT to come. As JT comes, we're going to go into just a time of just response. What has God told you today? Do you know Christ? Have you been saved? Are you still in your sin? You have to be saved from something to understand what you're being saved to. You're being saved from the wrath of God. That place in the Valley of Hinnom is, the, is, is, is a symbol and a picture of what the real hell is and its separation from God. Only in Christ can you have your sins expunged. Only in Christ can you be clean. And you must come to Christ crying out like everyone else, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's my sin. This is what I've done. Lord, would you give me your life? I'll give you my life. If you're a Christian and you've been taken in and taken captive by these new paths, see it for what it is. The devil majors on trying to pollute the most beautiful parts and pictures of the Christian church. To pervert the ministry of the Holy Spirit within, with, with sensationalism. And you miss the real Holy Spirit. To pollute what real biblical revival is with revivalism. And you miss real biblical revival. To, uh, to miss the, 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 the sufficiency of Scripture by taking in a Bible that maybe is or isn't true. 
The devil spends his time majoring on things he wants you to stay away from. Don't fall for it. Cling to the old paths. So whatever it is where you are today, do business with God. The altar is open. I'll be up here somewhere if you need to talk to me. Let's just let God speak to us and let us be willing to receive what he has to say.